Hello guys, this is the Wise Monkey here, and here is the first episode of this brand new sermon series called Hunger for Reality. Well, I'm sure most of you are familiar with VR, also known as virtual reality, a technological phenomenon that if you're not up to speed with things, you'll maybe not know with it, about it. But basically, virtual reality is defined as an immersed, interactive experience generated by a computer. You basically put these big giant goggle glasses on, and then you can basically, it's like you're in the game, and it's like it's real life. And I believe that there is a sense in which our, and it virtualizes the world, and it just makes the world of the game visualized. But I believe there is a sense in which our Christianity has been virtualized. We can become virtual, not real, in our Christianity. So on a mental, even on an emotional level, we can interact with the Bible, with our beliefs about God in our faiths. But it's not something that impacts our life in real, lives in real terms. So I want to ask you tonight, right through this series, have you got virtual Christianity rather than the real thing? There is another technology, and it's called augmented reality. Now, it's a bit different than virtual reality because... The girl is there in virtual reality. You're able to look through goggles and see the whole world, and it looks real. You actually think you're real, and it the whole world is virtualized. But for many, our Christianity can be virtualized and not real, and we don't even notice it. Do we just go to church on a Sunday and praise the Lord and all throughout the week we actually are we actually aren't even talking to him or picking up our Bible and it's just left on a bookshelf? Or is our Christianity real? We're actually reading that Bible and we're actually going out to those people. I mean, taking the analogy to our faith, I know a lot of Christians are bored. They are bored with church. There's no surprise at times. Yet, we've been called to be salt and light. If you, are, if you have salt and vinegar chips, what do you need after it? A drink. Salt makes you thirsty. We are not simply meant to be people who perverse some kind of influence within society. We're actually meant to be making other people in the world thirsty for God. But how are we supposed to make them thirsty for God if we just leave our Bibles on a bookshelf and don't even read it? If we don't go to them and talk to them about God? And yes, I know how... A lot of people are like, but what will they say to me? What if this? What is that? Why do we care what they say?
The early disciples turned the world upside down. They were world changers because of the power of the Spirit that was upon them. But listen, you will never change your world with the truth if the truth hasn't changed you. This is why so many hunger for re the reality. Because they see a disparity between what they read and... They see a disparity between what they read in, for instance, in the book of Acts, what they read in Christian biography, the heroes of faith who blaze the trial for Jesus. Is that you tonight? Are you the person that just left your Bible on the bookshelf Sunday more until Sunday morning and then went to church? Or are you actually reading it and going out to your friends and talking to them about Jesus? We're supposed to be making people thirsty and hunger for that reality of Jesus Christ. And I'll be covering many subjects in this series. But... So, tonight we're focused, we're looking at reckless love because the f first subject tonight is essential for all others to flow from. They are all vital, but every other one flows from love. It's a bit like the fruit of the Spirit. When you look at Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. But all of them flow out of love. In fact, you could probably say that all of the fruits of the Spirit could be summed up in love. I want you to turn quickly to our first reading in Matthew 22, verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer. Now, a lawyer in those days wasn't like a lawyer today. It was a, a Jew who knew the laws of God. A lawyer asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Hang all the law and prophets. Now, that's fascinating. No. Jesus is saying, this is the greatest of all commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. And on these two, all the law and prophets now was all there of the Bible in the Old Testament. And so basically what Jesus is saying, and this is profound, is that this is what the Bible is all about. The sad thing is that if you look at a church today and consider the creeds, the confessions, there is not a lot of reference to love in all of them. Jesus went even further in the New Covenant because these lawyers of the Jewish law would have agreed with Jesus. They even commanded him for saying, love God and love your neighbor. 
So are you getting the point? Do you understand the impact that the story would have had? The challenge is how we even read our Bibles. The love of God is not just on the page. We need to bring the love of God to everyone. I want to ask you tonight, have you ever encountered, a, truly encountered the love of God? Um, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Now this is the story of the, product, the parable of the prodigal son. We have come to know it as the prodigal son, but it's actually about two sons. You know what happens, the younger one comes and asks for his inheritance before his father is dead, which is like saying, is like saying, I wish you were six feet under in the ground so I can get my money. And then the father just gave him his inheritance. And then the older brother, and he also gives the older brother his inheritance. And then we join in the story in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted all his possessions with the prodigal living, or wasteful living. But when he has spent all, now th that's why we call him the prodigal, because he got all of his dad's money and then wasted it. But what does prodigal mean? The Jews who heard this story were... <laughs> prodigal is spending money or resources freely and recklessly. But even though no matter how recklessly the prodigal son actually spent his money and technically was saying I wish you were six feet under dad give me my money now basically even though he didn't he kind of said that ish he did and when he came home his dad saw him and he ran to the son and loved him just like our Father has the reckless love for us. We need the love of God. This reckless love of God is shed aboard in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that love covers a multitude of sins. I can never get over how when the prodigal came back, he had been living with pigs, but then his dad doesn't say, right, get up to the house, have a bath or shower. He takes his robe, he, he covers his filth in that robe before he is washed. And he's happy to see him no matter how terrible of what he did.
and now this is like the female prodigal in verse 36 of chapter 7 of Luke. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Now look who's asking here. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Right now, we are all sinners. The Bible tells us that. So why does it say who was a sinner? It's meaning that she was infamous as a sinner. In other words, her sin was a way of life. When she knew that Jesus sat on, sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an abalasker flask or flagellant oil. Now, now there's a whole lot of holiness teaching that goes on around the country. But in all sorts of spectrums of Christianity, we all know that holiness is important, but so often our versions of holiness separates us from all unholy people. Verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. He was sitting reclining on one of these tables, low standing tables, so his feet were sticking out behind him as he was reclining, leaning on his elbow on the table to eat. And she began to wash his feet with tears and wipe them with his hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the oil. This is so this is what it looks like. She is kissing his feet. If any woman did this, it would be a bit of a shocking moment. But this is somebody else. Verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invented him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of this woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Aren't you getting it? And Jesus answered, Now he didn't speak this out, but Jesus knew everything, what he was saying. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have said, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a curtain creator who had two debaters, and one owned 500 and the owner owned 50. And when they had nothing in to repay, he fr freely forgave them both. Therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose he, the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightfully judged. Then he is now watch the poison there in the body language. This he turned to the woman and said to Simon. So he's looking at her, speaking to him. Do you see this woman? He wants him to look at her. He's not ashamed to look at her. Do you see this woman? I have entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now, isn't this incredible? Did Jesus not know where this woman had been the previous night? Yes, he did. Did he not know the graphic scenes that her eyes had looked upon? Yet he received the tears from those eyes to wash his feet. Because of how, because of this reckless love he has. Do you see this night? To have reckless love, you first need to be wrecked by love. And then you can conform to a verse like Romans 12, 1-2. I be sheath, you therefore beat, sorry, by the miracles of God, that you present your bodies a a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, you see, a lot of us have got these verses, but we haven't really been wrecked by love. We've never seen the prodigal father. We've never known the prodigal father, but do you know what all of that means? You don't go on a course to learn how to do it. It means we have not had an encounter that is deep enough. Don't go and enroll in some cemetery or something like that. Go into your closet, shut the door, and say, Father, show me your heart of love. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me look at the crowd like my Savior did till my eyes with tears grow dim. Now, the next message will be about the power of the Holy Spirit next week. And the power of the Holy Spirit is another vital part. But this week, just focus on the reckless love of God. And share the love of God to others. Now, I'm just going to put some worship music on, and you guys can just pray by yourselves. The Lord, please show us all the reckless love of you. Please help us to put up to show other people your reckless love.
a shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming up. No wall, you won't kick down. Lie, you won't tear down. Coming up. Shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming up. No wall, you won't kick down. Lie, you won't sit down.